he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. Get me a gay, Mickey. Gotta get a gay. Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Details, a celebration of nuance where each episode I queen out on all the acting choices, micro moments, and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great. My name is Colin Drucker. Your name is Barbara Belgettis. And this week we are going to be discussing a performance that found me this year more than I found it. And it's it's it, like so many others, like Zora Lampert in Let, Let's Scare Jessica to Death or uh, Louise Lasser in Blood Rage. You know, these anything Brenda Vaccaro has been in, let's be real. There are these performances and these women that I don't know who the hell I was before I saw them. And uh, this is one of them. And it is, of course, Nancy Kelly in her Oscar-nominated performance as Christine Penmark in 1956's The Bad Seed, uh, which, of course, was based on a play by Maxwell Anderson, which Nancy Kelly was also in and won the Tony uh, for Best Actress in. So this is, you know, this is her role, and oh boy, is it? It is. I have so many feelings. I think that there are certainly probably people who have scooped this movie and its campy qualities up and have, you know, uh, celebrated it as such. But I feel like for the most part, The Bad Seed gets recognized for Patty McCormick and for a little Rhoda Penmark and to give me back those shoes. And and I'm fine with that. And I love that, that that's a thing. And that's kind of all I really knew about The Bad Seed until I finally saw it. But I really think we should be talking about Nancy Kelly as Christine Penmark the same way we talk about Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Um, Faye Dunaway in really most things when I think about it. But, you know, just a performance that is so blissfully over the top. And what I love even more is that it's so incredibly over the top and in unlike Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest, she's won and been nominated for awards for it. I love... I love that you could watch this as like absolute scenery chewing or just like a fully committed like operatic performance. And it kind of works both ways, you know? So that's what we're going to talk about today because that is what I want to focus on on November 1st as I'm recording this. Um, You know, Halloween is over. Daylight savings time has happened uh, in that it is uh, currently 530 at night and it looks like it's 930 at night. Um, I am completely worn out from lockdown life like um, i've run out of sparkles this year and i feel like my brain has just kind of it it's starting to break down a little bit not to the point that i can't celebrate nancy kelly and the bad seat on in the details but uh in that i need to in that i need to focus on that i need to focus on this performance and this woman and this movie from the 1950s because i just otherwise what am i doing but like doom scrolling on twitter So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a few choice moments of Nancy Kelly in The Bad Seed. 
Now, first things first, I do want to mention or clarify or add to what I said before that Nancy Kelly was in the the Broadway production. She won the Tony for it. Uh, a lot of this cast comes over from the Broadway production. Patty McCormick played Rhoda on Broadway. Uh, what's her name? Oh, Henry Jones, who plays Leroy. Uh, he moved over from Broadway. Evelyn Varden, who plays Monica, who is... A character certainly in this movie, but is also a necessary name, as you'll discover. Like Nancy Kelly's performance doesn't exist if it doesn't include some really choice ways of of saying the name Monica. And saying is not quite the verb, but boy, does that give Nancy Kelly places to emote the name Monica. And we'll get into that. But also Eileen Heckert, she and Patty McCormick were actually also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, for the movie version, but she came over from the play as well. And that is a whole other episode. I wanted to figure out a way that I could talk about Mrs. Daigle and talk about Christine Penmark in the same episode. And there just isn't the space because I need to tell you that Eileen Heckert as Mrs. Daigle is, is, is just everything, everything you want as uh, as as an as an actress as an actress sexual as as a gay man watching a movie and hoping for some from for some some strong female performances Eileen Heckert walks in about 36 minutes into the movie and then an hour later comes back and just steals the whole fucking show and I love that she was doing this on Broadway and now she's doing it in the movie it's the kind of performance where you you just have to study every acting choice. It's, it is just 10 minutes all told of just acting choices. So I think that's going to be a very near future episode of In the Details. I could not possibly do her justice today and also do all the justice I need to do to Nancy Kelly as Christine Penmark. So, um, but I, yeah, so all of these folks kind of come over from the play, from the Broadway version and bring that, that nice lived in feeling and that sense of like, oh, they, they are these characters before the movie even starts. And you really do feel it. You also really do feel that you're watching a movie based on a play because, and I don't always hate this, but there are there's so much about this movie that feels stagey. Most of it takes place within the Penmark's apartment. Any of the ways in which they've opened it up, like you can see how they did it on stage. There are certain shots where it literally feels like you're watching a filmed production Definitely Mrs. Daigle scenes. I I felt there were a few shots where I was like, oh, I feel like I'm in the third row right now. And it was really uh, a lovely feeling. But so it, it's something to kind of be aware of uh, and, and kind of appreciate. You know, I, I love how Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf transforms from a Broadway play or to a play in general uh, into a movie and the way that they made it feel cinematic. And it doesn't feel like you're just watching a play happen. And I didn't need the bad seed to accomplish the same thing. Part of that is really, I guess, why I love Nancy Kelly's performance. I love that there is both success and failure. I love that the movie totally transforms into its own thing away from the play and then doesn't. You know, I love that it does feel like you're just watching a filmed production at times. Um I don't know. I like the imperfection of it all. And I think that's, you know, part of why I love Nancy Kelly's performance. It's not, say, the way I would queen out about Tony Collette and Hereditary, which 
you know, we, we may find some similarities to today, uh, where it's just like a purely perfect performance. I love it because I, I see the argument as to why she was nominated for an Oscar. And I see the argument as to why it is so over the top and why she has, there are reviews for this movie that just, you know, tear into Nancy Kelly's talking through tears voice. And I should back up if for some reason you're not familiar with the bad seed, that's totally fair. Um, so the bad seed, of course, based on a book, based on a play and, you know, now a movie is about little Rhoda Penmark, who is this, uh, like eight year old girl who, may or may not have killed poor little Claude Daigle for his penmanship uh, badge. And, um, of course, she does kill him for the penmanship badge. And then, of course, uh, it's um, kind of about her mother contending with the fact that her daughter is a killer. There's also the subplot of Christine uh, always kind of suspecting and then finding out from her father that she indeed was adopted and that her birth mother is... Uh, the serial killer who comes up in act one in discussion. And so there is also this narrative that the, there's a, you know, there's something genetic here. There's a killer instinct that's been passed down the line and it's, I guess, skipped a generation and gone from, you know, grandma to Rhoda. And so, yeah. And then of course, you know, shit goes down, you know, Leroy finds the shoes. Give me those shoes, you. Give me back those shoes. It's, you know, again, it's a movie that a lot of people know mostly for Rhoda Penmark, and they know for Patty McCormick in The Pigtails. And I I feel like I would be remiss, as the case may be, to not at least acknowledge Patty McCormick. She is, she is great in this. I don't normally love child actors, but I I love this performance. I think it's so... I think what I love about it is the elements of it that sound really fake or performative are Rhoda being fake and performative and not Patty McCormick. Like I think one of my favorite examples is when Mrs. Fern, the teacher at the school, when she comes over to talk to Christine and Rhoda comes out of her bedroom and she's putting on this nice little girl act and it's just insufferable, but like in the best way. Good morning, Miss Fern. Good morning, Rhoda. Mother, could I sit under the Scuppernong Arbor for a while and read my book? Of course, Rhoda. It's so shady there. And I can see your window. And you can watch me from the window. And I'd like to be where you can see me. Is it a new book? Mm-hmm. It's Elsie Dinsmore, the one I got for a prize at Sunday school. Well, I'll be here. I'll be right there all the time. Goodbye, Miss Fern. And she definitely obviously has some really intense moments and, and we'll talk about it a bit when we get to the confession scene, because it is obviously one of Nancy Kelly's fine moments in this movie. But I, I really admired like the, the kind of calm evil that Patty McCormick expresses as Rhoda Penmark. But we are of course really here to talk about Christine Penmark and the exquisite agony of Christine Penmark. So before we dive in, I feel like to give you a bit of context, I think you'll, I think to look at Nancy Kelly in this performance, I, of course, I'm always recasting and thinking about oh, who else could play this role or who does she remind me of? There's, there's sort of an Annette Benning quality to her. And so visually, it's like, if you want to be picturing this, if you haven't seen this, it's like picturing Annette Benning, but then, and you'll hear it, but she kind of sounds like Kathleen Turner, which is lovely. And once I realized that I couldn't unhear the Kathleen Turner of it, 
but she's also giving me, and I'll definitely let you know the moment, but there, she makes choices that Judy Garland would make. She, you know, I would say that there are elements of this performance that you could see in Judy's performance in Judgment at Nuremberg, uh, which is great when she's like, slamming the desk and oh my god that's a performance to talk about but i would say you could really line these two up as judy garland in judgment at nuremberg and nancy kelly in the bad seed and of course i'm getting just a really healthy dash of brenda vaccaro with that raspy voice and you know i will show up and sit down and eat my popcorn any day of the week for a raspy voiced actress. So, so that's kind of the mix that we're getting with Nancy Kelly, an actress who, by the way, I really knew nothing about before watching this movie. I've never seen anything else she was in. That was the other thing that kind of like wowed me that I, this name was not one that I was familiar with. I knew the name, uh, Patty McCormick. I knew Eileen Heckert, but I, and I knew of the bad seed, but Nancy Kelly, this was a, this was a true revelation. Uh, this is, I wouldn't say quite the same as the moment I discovered Olivia Coleman, and then I was like, wait a minute, what? But I'm certainly intrigued by her. I, so I will say, as over the top as this performance gets, she does save most of it for the second half of the movie, and really, I guess, act two. And I, I would say her biggest, her first big moment, her first, like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're going for the back row here, uh, which, by the way, you know, it is very much true. I mean, the, the, the director of the Bad Seed, the the movie director of the Bad Seed, Mervyn Leroy, he did not instruct Nancy Kelly to kind of pare down her performance. I mean, that's a lot of what we're seeing in this is that she's doing a stage performance in a movie. She's not modifying it. She's not bringing it down to scale. And he's not asking her to. And I love that. I think that's the part of this that I like is thinking about this on stage and thinking, huh, I guess this would work in that situation or I see how this would not feel so oversized I mean obviously she won the Tony so clearly I'm not the only one who thinks that but I I I love that I don't know I just love that I love how much this the size of this performance doesn't necessarily fit the movie it's um I mean, it's what I look for. I look for these acting choices, and she's just giving me them in in bold. She's highlighting them. Uh, she circles them with a red pen. So the first big scene, or you know, or the first one we're going to talk about, is the scene that Christine has with her father when it's revealed that she, in fact, she's been having these strange dreams that are actually memories from her childhood. And so let's, you know, we'll, we'll give her a chance in this, oh, this stagey-ass, stagey, stagey monologue. Oh, Daddy, I, I dream of a bedroom in a farmhouse in a countryside where there are orchards. And I share the room with my brother who's older than I am. And then one night somebody is at my mother. She comes to take care of him. And she's a lovely lady. She's beautiful like an angel and then later i guess my brother must have died because i'm alone in the room and then one night i'm terrified to be in that room another minute and somehow i get out of bed it's moonlight and i get out the window and i drop to the ground below and i hide myself in the deep weeds beyond the first orchard and then i don't remember very much else except that towards morning i'm i'm thirsty and i begin to eat the yellow pippins that fall from the from the trees and then when the first light comes up on the clouds, I can 
I can hear my mother's voice calling to me from the distance and I don't answer her because I'm afraid. Now, is that a dream? Is that only a dream? So just to give you a visual, Christine is standing behind a chair and it gives her the, the, the back of the chair. She kind of uses the top and the back of the chair as a place for her hands to do a lot of acting, a lot of gripping the top of the chair, clenching her hands into fists. It's Nancy Kelly doesn't waste her hands in these monologues. And I, I, I feel like all of this is great. You know, I, she's talking through tears. She's giving you, is she not giving you so much Kathleen Turner? I love how she, uh, you know, I can hear my mother's voice calling and she's kind of, she kind of like raises her hand out as she's gesturing out in her memory of my mother out there. I can hear my mother's voice calling to me from the distance and I don't answer her because I'm afraid. Oh, Nancy, what is that voice? What is that voice? And Christine remembers her her name and and all of all of this being the realization that her mother was indeed this Bessie Danker, this this serial killer, and that her father was a a writer who was a, was covering the crime scene at the time and had found her as a as a baby there and adopted her. And so Christine breaks into tears and she embraces her father, and then she. I will set this up for you and then I'll have to let her just do her thing. She pulls away and like in a hunch, like swoops back behind that chair again as she just like loses her shit. Oh God, help me. God, help me. Why didn't you just leave me there? Why didn't I die in the orchard and end the agony there? Now, this is some really incredible choreography. You know, she at first she's back to that spot, clenching the top of the chair. And then as she's crying about, why didn't you just leave me? She's she's rotating behind the chair. And as she turns, her hands kind of readjust so that she's still holding the back of the chair. But now her back is facing us. It's as if the, the object of the game is just to not let go of the chair. And then she lurches forwards to this pillar in the apartment. The apartment has this series of pillars that she grasps as she's crying about, leave me to die in the orchard. It is so Shakespearean. It's clutching a pillar. I mean, they talk about chewing the scenery, but clutching a pillar needs to be kind of like an alternative way of saying someone's chewing the scenery. They're clutching the pillars, you know, because this is such a classic hammy choice it was the neighbors who found you and saved you would you rather have stayed with them no you you've been a wonderful father it's it's that awful place and that evil woman my mother there are places and events in every man's life he'd rather not remember don't let it hurt you now it's past daddy i wish I wish I had died that I wish it. I wish it. And I I love the choice. I don't I love it in air quotes of when she's crying about my evil mother, she's pounding each of her fists kind of at on her womb basically, which is it's so deep it's shallow again, you know? Uh, and I have to imagine she did this exact same thing in the Broadway production. So this is really setting Christine off. And of course, is, is kind of the, I guess I would say, act two gun, really, of, you know, explaining 
or being a fear that Christine has about Rhoda that she comes from a that she's she was born from a serial killer and somehow that'll be passed along to Rhoda, which of course gets confirmed not long after when Christine discovers Rhoda trying to throw away her shoes in the incinerator. Of course, the shoes that with with these little metal um, discs on the bottom so that she can tap dance, and she catches Rhoda trying to throw these shoes away, and of course, that is when. Christine realizes putting the pieces together, the suspicions that she's had from earlier conversations with Miss Fern and Mrs. Daigle, and obviously now with her father, it's like all the pieces are coming together. She's discovered the shoes. It's kind of like all signs are pointing to Rhoda. And it and this is really the next meltdown moment I want to talk about. There are two fabulous choices in this scene that I am just obsessed with. So Christine gets the shoes from Rhoda and or she fights them out of her hands and they go flying out of Rhoda's hands. And then she picks them up and she's holding them and she just looks at Rhoda. And I love, I love, like there are some things I love with quotes about this performance. And then there's things I just genuinely love. And I love this line delivery here about, you know, you hit him with the shoes, didn't you? I love this part. You hit him with the shoes, didn't you? You hit him with the shoes. That's how he got those half moon marks on his forehead and on his hands. Answer me, Rhoda. Answer me! Oh, and that big answer me. I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I've mentioned it before, and we're going to talk about it towards the end of this episode. But Nancy Kelly is going to places in the bad seed that Tony Collette was going to in Hereditary, and these are the places that excite me. I love this. I love that she goes this far. Rhoda snaps says, yeah, I hit him with the shoes, and we get Rhoda's confession, and we'll we'll play a little of that just for context here. You can hear a little Patty McCormick. I hit him with the shoes. I had to hit him with the shoes. What else could I but do? you realize that you murdered him? But it was his fault. If he gave me the medal like I told him to, I wouldn't have hit him. Okay, here comes my my next favorite part. As, as Christine says, all right, all right, you're going to tell me what happened. You're going to tell me the truth. And Rhoda has gone to sit on the infamous chair, the infamous acting chair. Now she's sitting on the chair and crying into her hands. Christine has come around the side of her, and there's a little side table next to the chair. And it's important to know that because you're going to hear it. But as Christine is continuing these lines here, she starts slamming the shoe against the table uh, for emphasis, and I don't know what goes flying off the table. I don't know if it's the little metal piece on the shoe or if it's a little candy dish, but she smashes the shit out of something on the side table. And, you know, I, again, something she definitely did on Broadway, something that just drove some sort of prop master crazy. It's it's so unnecessary, and it's so necessary. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, now we're going to... We're going to start at the beginning and you're going to tell me the truth. Now, I know you killed him, so there's no sense lying. Rora, I want you to tell me the truth. I can't tell you. Rora, I can't. Now, much like Hereditary, Christine just starts to fall apart through the rest of this movie and is crying in just about every scene or just on the edge of tears. 
Uh, she and and it's just continuously pushed further along. There's another visit from Mrs. Daigle. Again, we're going to do a whole episode about Mrs. Daigle because these visits are iconic. A visit from Mrs. Daigle. That's what we'll call that episode. Of course, there's the infamous scene with Leroy, who's the the hand the handyman around the apartment, um, where he tells her that he found her shoes in the incinerator, and she of course insists to give me back those shoes. You here? Well, let's just let it happen. Give me those shoes back. Oh, no, I got them shoes hid where nobody but me can find them. You better give me those shoes. They're mine. Give them back to me. I ain't giving them shoes back to nobody. You better give them back to me, Leroy. I'm keeping them shoes. <laughs> and so that, of course, puts a target on Leroy's head. And there's a whole sequence of Rhoda going to get ice cream, and she she takes a few matches, and then she comes back. And Monica has the infamous Monica, the Monica Monica Breedlove, who's the the landlord of the building, who is insufferable. I I don't necessarily think it's the actress. I think this character is insufferable. The way every everything she says is it's just. I know she's supposed to play like this know it all character and this kind of armchair psychiatrist and. You know, she has a very Emily Post quality about her, and, and there's that transatlantic accent. It, it, she drives me up the fucking wall. Uh, so she's come over as well. And the set, so the setup here, of course, just to, to not mire in the whole plot, because we're really just here for the acting choices. If you want to know everything that happens in the bad seed, you should watch the bad seed. I'm telling you. But what happens eventually is that. Rhoda sets this like this packing material in the basement on fire and traps Leroy in the basement. And then she goes up back upstairs and goes into her room. And then Monica and Christine hear Leroy yelling and, uh, and you know, then of course they have to get Leroy out of the basement. And so what I love about this scene, and it's interesting how they probably did this on stage versus in the movie is obviously, you know, we don't see Leroy, getting freed from the basement. I'm sure in the, on the, in the stage version, all of that was off stage. But the way that we really see it play out in the movie is watching Christine watch it happen. You know, we see other characters in the movie run outside and, and break open the basement doors. But for the most part, the camera is just watching Nancy Kelly's face as she's staring out the window, presumably watching Leroy run out of the basement on fire and like run up the, the walkway and then fall and die. And so it's just her watching all of that happen. And then this moment, this, this, oh, okay. So this is, this whole next sequence here, these next few parts here, it is, this is the exquisite agony of Christine Penmark. The other two were examples of, you know, kind of what we're in for. I wanted to prime you, you know, for what you're going to get. But now we are getting into truly the exquisite agony of Christine Penmark. And it starts with this moment of her staring out the window and in this like completely traumatized babyish voice saying it's too late. and so of course the piano playing is Rhoda in her bedroom playing the piano and that's obviously a big part of this scene but first so Monica and Christine have been watching out the bay window after the it's too late they both turn and it's this great I mean this is such again a scene from a play but Christine kind of turning and sitting down and Monica on the other side of the table just in dismay. And there's the, there's this, 
they're kind of talking over each other, obviously, in this next part here, but I have to let it play out, and then we'll talk about it, but oh my god, okay, you will hear it, and we're going to talk about it, but this is where I need you to listen for the name Monica. I need you to listen to the usage of the name Monica in this, and each of its very distinct syllables. Somebody call an ambulance. He's lying still. Whatever can be done will oh, be yes. done. Oh, yes, Monica, but now you see. I should have known that this was going to happen now. I should have known it. How could I be so blind? Thank God, no. You see, now the fire was the in the basement where Leroy was. But there's nothing But this time do. I saw it, Monica. I saw this with my own eyes. Now make them stop screaming because it isn't going to help. Scream! Yeah, and make her stop their music, Monica, because that man is still screaming and the piano is going on and on while he's dying in the fire. Monica! Making a man scream. Monica! I don't want to see anybody now. It's Emery, dear. Monica. A, a syllable for each sob. Who... Whose idea was, I love it. It's so much. It's too much. It's way too much. I love it. But again, <clears throat> Nancy Kelly hand acting, when she says, I knew it, I should have, she's like wagging her finger. And there's, I, I love how deeply Christine is processing all of this. The scene is also, this is really where she gets to her most Judy Garland. I think some of that like, uh, some of that baby talk feels like where like a traumatized Judy Garland character would go. I don't know what Judy would have done with how could I be so blind? I love that Nancy Kelly goes blind. I should have known it. How could I be so blind? I like that that's her choice. Um, but I, this is that these are this is definitely the moment where I was like, oh man, this is this is Judy in judgment at Nuremberg here. So what I love, the capper of this little segment, is then Emery shows up. This, uh, I believe, this is Monica's brother or Monica's brother's friend, but it's, you know, other men in the in the movie. Uh, so he, he, Emery shows up, and I love that when he arrives at the apartment, Christine has this. I don't want to see anybody, and it, the way that she kind of uh, sort of tenses up and and jumps on that is sort of a fascinating choice. A Monica, I don't want to see anybody now. It's Emery, dear. So Emery then explains what happened, you know, everything we know about the this packing material, Excelsior. I don't know what the hell that is, um, but that's what they keep calling it in this movie, uh, that was on fire. And so, you know, and we don't even hear that Leroy died because Monica interrupts him. But then we cut back to Christine sitting at the table. Uh, so she, and as she, we'll play this part out here, and as she breaks into tears, she just like puts her head down on the table. And then we're going to talk about what happens next. I saw him. I saw him run down the path and die because there who worse than that. Now, while this is happening, Nancy Kelly has her head down on the desk and she, you'll hear the banging, the banging of her hand against the, it's not the desk, the table, the banging of her hand against the table. She's not slamming her palm against the table. It's as if she has had a stroke and she doesn't have like control of her left side anymore. And so she's kind of, you know, or like someone who has, I don't know, some sort of muscular disorder or something where it's like her hand is turned in a little bit and she's actually like 
banging her like the side of her like her pinky like the side of her hand against the table it is the it is such a weird choice it is such a um this this weird palsy that she takes on physically here and she's and i don't even know what it is it's like somebody you know you know beating their chest or something it, it has that same feeling we've already seen her you know pound her fists into her womb and now she's having this um this grand mal seizure at the dinner table uh and it's great and it's great and it's great it seems he fell asleep on a a Betty made out of excelsior. I suppose a cigarette set fire to the please, stuff. Please, please, Monica, help. Monica, help. Monica, I just simply got up there and now she is dropping me. I don't know, can she play that tinkle? Okay, that last part was her sitting up, slamming her hand against the table, and then she gets up. Oh, I love her face when she gets up from the table and storms across the apartment in this next scene to Rhoda's bedroom door. And then all this drama is happening at the bedroom door. And we're going to play it out to its climax because Nancy Kelly deserves that. Rhoda! Did you know you could turn away? Did you know you could turn away? And you could say, yeah, what has she done? Oh, God, I love that. I love that big scream, like, stop that music. I love, I, I love the size of it. It's so Tony Collette and Hereditary. It is so the dinner table scene. It's so because nobody admits anything they've done. It's so this. Because nobody admits anything they've done! And so at that point, Rhoda op- has opened the bedroom door. And and really, I think actually, again, one of my favorite parts and where I think Nancy Kelly is playing perfect notes and not perfectly campy notes is Monica's kind of holding her back and talking over her. And I think that's part of why I love this line. It, it's so profound what, what she's saying of like... Uh, you know, you could just turn away, you know, you knew you could just turn away. You could just play the piano. And I love the accusation there. That, you didn't see it. Did you know you could turn away? Did you know you could turn away? And you could say, what has she done? The, the word choice of, of, oh, you could just turn away. You could just play the piano. Um, and so then, of course, you know, Monica, I'm like, get out of the way and let them duke this out, you know. But then after this point, you know, I think Christine has broken. It is what she's done. It's what I've done. What does she mean, Monica? I don't know, Rhoda. She she better go upstairs yes. with me. She'll stay for oh, your yes. call. Monica, Monica, would you would, would you take her, please? But may you be all right? Oh, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. It's just that that screaming goes on. <laughs> we'll come down to you later. Come, Rhoda. It's very important to know that Christine has sunk into the acting chair again. And also uh, the I'll be all right. I'll be all right. She she kind of now she's sitting there and she's like turned her hands inward like these little claws. And I love that. I love I love Nancy Kelly's claws. Nancy Kelly's claws. That's almost the name of this episode. Um, So then we get this this little final monologue here. She 
but she's my little girl. And I love her. Oh, my baby. My baby, my baby, my baby. Well, not so much a monologue. It's just a final little statement. And as she starts crying, my baby, my baby, she turns and buries her face into the acting chair. And uh, after this, I don't want to ruin the bad seat for you, but, you know, uh, this is a real turning point in the movie. And I don't think any of this is necessarily a spoiler. You know, when you see the moment you see Leroy, you're like, oh, yeah, Leroy is not going to survive this movie. Uh, It's not supposed to be any surprise that little Claude Daigle gets killed. That's kind of the whole conceit of the movie. So that's not a spoiler either. You have to see Mrs. Daigle. To, you have to see it to believe it. it. What's fascinating about Eileen Heckert, of course, is that she, as Mrs. Daigle, is that she's playing drunk for the entire 10 minutes, two five-minute scenes that she's in The Bad Seed. And so there, you rarely see a variation away from her playing drunk. And that, I guess to some people, could just feel kind of one note. I just think that she is finding an ocean of acting choices in playing drunk. It's some of my favorite playing drunk I think I've ever seen. But again, will be its own episode. Um, so yeah, so those are some of my favorite Nancy Kelly moments from The Bad Seed. There are some remakes of The Bad Seed. I don't really know anything about them. I don't really care. They don't have Nancy Kelly in them. So what am I doing? Uh, but yeah, those are pretty much all the things I had to say. I just, I, I saw this movie. I saw those acting choices and I needed to come here and talk to you about them. So here we are. Uh, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your feelings on The Bad Seed, on Nancy Kelly. What other over-the-top acting choices do I not know about, much like Christine Penmark in The Bad Seed? What else am I not aware of that I should be aware of? Uh, I'd love for you to let me know. And the best way to do that is to drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. Or you could reach out to me on Twitter at Colin Drucker or Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. Um, of course, if you just want to hear more of me, you could hear me on All Right Mary, uh, talking about drag and all kinds of queer draggy shit. Or you can hear me on Best Supporting Podcast, talking about Best Supporting Actresses. Um, or you can just hear more of me on In the Details, um, which I'll hopefully be back real soon. Uh, well, at least talk about Mrs. Daigle. We got to talk about Mrs. Daigle. So I will be back very soon to talk about visits from Mrs. Daigle. Until then, thank you so much for joining me for another celebration of nuance, for queening out on all of Nancy Kelly's acting choices. There's really no micro moments in the bad seat. Everything's a macro moment. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that's it. That we're Land the plane, Colin. Land the plane. That's it. Talk to you later. Bye.